advantage of the day. Right. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. Yeah. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Well, hello, Chiefs Kingdom, and welcome to this episode, this AFC Championship episode of Defending the Kingdom. Mitch Alters with the voice of the Chiefs, along with the Matt Stat himself, Chiefs reporter Matt McMullen. And a reminder that the Defending the Kingdom podcasts are brought to you by 360 Vodka, Kansas City's hometown vodka, and the official vodka of the Chiefs Kingdom. As now we get revved up for the AFC Championship game. And Matt, we're still trying to figure out just the magnitude of that divisional playoff victory as we transition here. But what a time we are in, my friend, to see what we're seeing. Frankly, I still can't believe it. And we've seen a lot of amazing things in Chiefs Kingdom over the last several years since Patrick Mahomes got here, but I still cannot believe it. So for Chiefs Rewind, I was down on the field, ready to go, with four minutes left in regulation. And I did the same thing for the Steelers game the week prior. And the Steelers game was nice because the game was already in hand. Just go down to the field, relax, enjoy the atmosphere. This game, not so much. Uh, I see 25 points scored uh, in my time on the field in just a few minutes. And, you know, we're going to hang on and win. The Bills score. Things aren't looking good. Tyree Kill breaks off a 64-yard touchdown. We're going to win. Then the Bills score. There's 13 seconds left. We get in field goal range somehow. Butker nails the field goal. Then they go to overtime, and you know what happened next. Uh, I just can't quite put it into words. I can't quite comprehend what we saw. And, you know, I was telling you just now off camera, like, I haven't really slept well since then. I'm so wired after that game, just watching highlights every night. Like, what did I see? I mean, we're just so lucky uh, to have this team and with their their fight and their competitive nature and their passion uh, to go win a game uh, that's going to go down as one of the best of all time. People now have seen the GoPro, the booth, of calling that walk-off overtime. Even Kay Adams, right, our uh-huh. our, our friend, their Good Morning Football retweeted it. Uh, but honestly, I didn't even know what I said at the time. I was like Will Ferrell in old school in the debate scene against James Carville. Like, I blacked out. I don't even know what I said. You know, that's how you debate. That's how you do it. Uh, but there were people listening to that, seeing that. Uh, and let's just check in before we dive into the AFC Championship game for our around the world. I've got a couple here. This is interesting. So after the game, uh, I was trying to figure out where I'm at and what I'm doing. But I did. I had not eaten since early this, that morning. So I would chase down you know, prey on the National Geographic channel if I could. So I was at a local establishment late at night on the way home, masked up, but there were four Canadians there. I don't know if you've seen these guys. Have you seen these guys? Four Canadians all dressed up in this, their own garb, like all tuxedo looking things. They go to every game at Arrowhead, at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium. They drive, drive every home game from Winnipeg. What? And they're like going crazy. They're just bouncing off each other. They see me and recognize me. And I'm like, what? What do you got? Yeah, we. I go, how are the Blue Bombers doing? He's like, ah, oh, Blue Bombers. They're like, so they drive from Winnipeg to GHA Field, Arrowhead Stadium. Every home game. Like I-29 just burned up. The other one is in your a place that's near and dear to you, Columbia, Missouri. There is a, a huge Chiefs fan. Actually, she lives in St. Louis, but she's from Columbia. Went to Rockbridge High School. She's a Rockbridge Bruin. Uh, but she's in St. Louis, lives like every word, play, uh, visual piece. Uh, she's called Jenny the Kappa. But anyway, she's a big Defending the Kingdom um, follower. And so shout out to those 
some far away in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and then also uh, the uh, the uh, Jenny the Kappa, the queen of the St. Louis edition of the Chiefs Kingdom from you where you went to college. That's her hometown. That's awesome. I actually have my heart in both of those places because I lived in Minneapolis for a year. I did an internship with the Minnesota Twins. That's where I met my wife. And uh, when we first met, like, I don't know, like three or four months into our relationship, we took a road trip to Winnipeg. We drove six hours from Minneapolis to Winnipeg and spent the weekend in Winnipeg. I like Winnipeg. It's a cool place. We didn't know it when we went there, but it was Canada Day. Like, they're July 4th. It's July 1st up there as their Independence Day. Like, Canadian flags everywhere and fireworks. It was amazing. So I've been to Winnipeg on Canada Day with my wife, my future wife at that point. Um, But very cool. That's a long drive. Did you run into these guys? Because did you see them in, like, their cheese tuxes and their – and they got the Canadian flag on their on their little pal. It's it's awesome. Maybe you've ran into it yet. That's incredible. That, that is a long drive. That is commitment uh, for those guys, but amazing stuff. Um, I do have lots, as always, of people all over the world, all over the country. Um, so we have a fan in Manila in the Philippines, a fan in Newfoundland, uh, and then Mike in Perth, Australia. Then also he wanted to shout out his buddy, Joel. Joel introduced Mike to the Chiefs when they were both 14 years old. Uh, Joel got Mike a Joe Montana jersey, and they've both been Chiefs fans uh, in the decades since. So very cool there. Uh, then lots of people, as always, all over the nation. So Colton in Clearfield, Utah. Melissa in Elkhart, Kansas. Brett in Little Rock, Arkansas. A fan in Springfield, Missouri, or as he calls it, uh, Arrowhead South. Uh, Damaris in El Paso, Texas. Larry in Bakerton, Pennsylvania. Josh in Joplin, Missouri, a fan in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Chris in Ridgeland, South Carolina, uh, or as he calls it, Kingdom Southeast. And I'm going to return back to these directional uh, proclamations here in a moment. Uh, Karen in The Villages, Florida, Tom in Fairmont, West Virginia, Mark in Montana, Bob in Unionville, Missouri. I think we've shouted out Bob before, but if you keep putting your name there, I'm going to keep shouting you out. Uh, Gary in Topeka, a fan in Huntington, West Virginia. Jason in Garden City, Kansas, and Stu in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now, we mentioned the two directional proclamations here. We have a fan in Springfield, Missouri, Arrowhead South, and Chris in Ridgeland, South Carolina, Kingdom Southeast. Where this all started was several weeks ago, we had Ignacio in Santa Barbara, California. He proclaimed Santa Barbara as Arrowhead West. And then about a week later, we had Mandy and Will in Mount Washington, Kentucky. They're like, you know what? Mount Washington, Kentucky is Kingdom East. So now we have... A west, an east, a south, and a southeast. Let's keep this thing going. If you want to plant your flag and say my town is Arrowhead or Kingdom, whatever direction, let us know. You know what? And if you want to declare, if you're out there and want to declare your own Kingdom province and have your own capital of that province, then go ahead, have at it. You and I start working on this. We're going to work on this T-shirt idea, Kingdom Defenders, and we're going to put them out worldwide. All right. If you if you're out there and want to do it, let's 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 go for it. We'll get that done in the offseason. And you mentioned Elkhart, Kansas. Okay, home of the Wildcats. The southern end, the border of the city, uh, is is Oklahoma, and not far from the western boundary of the city is Colorado. Like it's down in the corner. But here's where this gets interesting, and we get started on our discussion of this AFC Championship game. Elkhart, Kansas, is the home of Darren Simmons who is the special teams coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. And here comes Darren, the Elkhart, Kansas native, and bringing uh, his Bengals into town for this AFC championship game. So let's just dive right into this. This is fresh now. People can go back to our DTK episode prior to that week uh, of week 16 
about the uh, revenge tour and the rematch of Andy Reid, who's 24 and five in in-season rematches as head coach of the Chiefs. We have a chance for to revenge, and it's a rematch. Your thoughts on this Bengals team and this AFC championship? Well, first, what makes you the best is that not only are you familiar with Elkhart, Kansas, you know their high school mascot, you know their most famous alums, you know all of this stuff. It never ceases to amaze me that you know these things. I'm very impressed, uh, as always. Um, in Elkhart, Kansas, even though you know there's a Bengal from there, we have a DTK listener, so it's a battleground area. Now, looking at <laughs> looking at Week 17, um, you know I think every game is a learning opportunity, and there's good and there's bad in every single game. I think Week 17 against the Bengals is perhaps the best example of a game where there's a lot of good and some bad. And let's look at the good first. So the Chiefs had over 400 yards of offense in that game. They moved the ball, honestly, surgically in the first half. They averaged over seven yards per play. They had touchdowns on four of their first five drives. And I think they went three and out on their very first possession and then scored four straight touchdowns. So their offense was moving with relative ease early on in this game. And the Chiefs led for most of the game. Now, what happened in the second half? Overall, there was 10 penalties in this game. A lot of those penalties were on third or fourth down that extended Bengals' offensive drives. A lot of big plays allowed in this game, particularly to Jamar Chase. And then just uncharacteristic mistakes in this game that we're not used to seeing from this team that really hurt the Chiefs in the long run. So when you're looking at this game, it's exciting because the Chiefs did a lot of great things against the Bengals back in Week 17. There was some bad, but the good news is I feel like those bad things are correctable. Like, those aren't things that uh, you know are going to happen again. They're things that are preventable. The focus in this game is just very important. You can't go out there and be committing penalties and big moments on third down or in goal-to-go situations. Got to make sure everyone has supreme focus in this game uh, and that you can take care of business because what an opportunity this is here for the Chiefs against a Bengals squad that's hungry as well. Yeah, you bring up some interesting points. It was a very peculiar game. Some would say weird game. Uh, I mean, there were nine possessions for each team. The Chiefs got three stops. Those were fueled by pressure. A sack by Frank Clark in the first drive. The second drive was Chris Jones. So two of the three stops were in the first two drives of the game. But almost every other scoring drive for the Bengals was fueled by a major penalty. Defensive pass interference, a horse collar tackle. Uh, there were drives stopped for the Chiefs with the holding penalty that was critical. The Chiefs only had three possessions in the entire second half. That can be easily overlooked. And a Byron Pringle touchdown uh, for a kickoff return for a touchdown uh, that was called back because of a holding call. All told, 10 penalties in that game. Everyone was critical. And you're hoping, as you flip it now to GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium, not saying that you won't have 10 penalties, but one thing the Chiefs have done in these two playoff victories have been very precise for the most part. They have been very focused and they've stayed away from those penalties and for sure turnovers for the most part, but for sure those penalties that at points when there were downturns in the season, many times it was fueled by a critical penalty. And turnovers too. Penalties and turnovers were the story of the early part of the season. The Chiefs were beating themselves so often early this year. And yeah, if you look at that Buffalo game, one penalty. The entire game for the Chiefs, one penalty and zero turnovers, obviously. It was honestly a perfect offensive game for the Chiefs in so many ways. Not every drive ended in a touchdown, but a lot of them did. And the drives that didn't end in touchdowns were almost always productive. 
And really, that's been the story of the playoffs for the Chiefs. The Chiefs have scored a touchdown on 11 of their last 18 possessions. Think about that. It's incredible what they've been able to do offensively. And Patrick Mahomes is, of course, the field general for all of this. I have a crazy stat for you, so bear with me here. Only three quarterbacks coming into this season had thrown for 300 yards, three touchdowns, and completed 75% of their passes in multiple postseason games in their careers. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, uh, and Kurt Warner. Not in the same postseason, just in their careers. Those guys each had two games where they threw for 300 yards, three touchdowns, and completed 75% of their passes. Patrick Mahomes has done that in each of the last two games. Think about that. That is crazy. We always talk about how Mahomes is shattering records and how he could be the best of all time when it's all said and done. We're seeing it before our eyes right now. Truly no one has ever done what he has done in the last two games. He is locked in. He has a killer instinct about him and a laser focus right now uh, that as good as he's been in his career, I don't know if we've seen this level of focus, particularly what we saw against the Bills uh, just a few nights ago. So it's a very exciting time to be a Chiefs fan uh, right now. And even though that Bengals game was just a few weeks ago, it feels like this Chiefs team is just totally different right now in terms of their focus and just their eyes on the goal right here. Yeah, that 16th game in week 17 was part of a Burrow flurry too. Let's give Joe Burrow here some credit. The first quarterback in NFL history to have 1,200 plus yards, 10 plus passing touchdowns, no interceptions in a three game span. First guy ever. So that's what we got coming into this game. People are thinking, man, what, would, what did we just see? Well, <laughs> what are we going to see here in this AFC championship game? But let's give Burrow and Jamar Chase and their other weapons their due here. This is an explosive Cincinnati team. Yeah, very explosive. I mean, Joe Burrow is doing things uh, that not a lot of young quarterbacks do in the NFL. And we're seeing the changing of the guard in the AFC. We know Patrick Mahomes is the top dog in the AFC. He's proven that. But there's kind of this rush to be that next guy. I think Josh Allen right now is probably that next guy. But Joe Burrow wants to be in that conversation, just like, just like guys like Justin Herbert uh, do as well. So Joe Burrow uh, is kind of a different player than Mahomes and Allen. Joe Burrow is more of your traditional pocket passer. He has a rocket of an arm. He's going to laser it in there. Uh, and he's had a lot of success doing that. I mean, last week he threw for 348 yards against the Tennessee Titans. The key, though, with Burrow is his offensive line has struggled this year. He was sacked more than any quarterback in the NFL. He sacked 51 times this season, and he was sacked nine times last week against the Tennessee Titans. That was an NFL postseason record. Very difficult to win games if you're being sacked and pressured that many times. And it's significant because if you look at pro football focus numbers, when Burrow has a clean pocket this year, according to Pro Football Focus, he's been the best quarterback in football. I mean, he's almost unbeatable when he has all of his weapons out there and he has a clean pocket. But he's been pressured a lot because his offensive line has struggled. And while his numbers are still pretty good when he's pressured, they go down dramatically. He's a mere mortal when he's pressured. So for the Chiefs in this game, got to get pressure on him. And the good news is they did that back in Week 17. Uh, they sacked him four times and pressured him quite a bit. Got to keep that going here in this game. We've mentioned it though, sacks can be a number. They become more than a number when they lead to something significant. And you mentioned four sacks against Cincinnati, the three stops they had in that game of those nine possessions, all three were fueled by sacks. And if you look at last week's incredible victory over the Bills, there were enough stops, four stops by the Chiefs defense, two by Nick Bolton were outstanding plays, but then a sack, by Jaron Reed is one of them, and a sack by Melvin Ingram is the other. If the Chiefs can get impactful sacks, uh, not just a sack, but a sack that 
crushes a drive, ends a drive, throws everything off the rails for Cincinnati, then it becomes as much of a weapon as a big offensive play. It sure does. And one thing that, that I think is important here is the Chiefs defense, I think unfortunately will be remembered for what happened in the last two minutes where the Bills went down there and scored two touchdowns. But they actually played really well against the Bills for the most part in that game and came up with some big stops. You mentioned Nick Bolton. I mean, those were short third down attempts, two different times, two rushes, one by Devin Singletary, one by Isaiah McKenzie. And Bolton stopped him short of the sticks and forced a punting situation. The defense kept that game close throughout and then the offense took over when they needed to uh, at the very end of the game we need a similar effort here what we saw in the first 58 minutes from the defense against Cincinnati and just forcing Cincinnati into negative plays forcing them into second and long third and long you can't let this offense be on schedule and once again with Burrow you just got to get in his face the good news is he's not quite like Josh Allen or Mahomes like I mentioned where he's going to be scrambling for 50 yards all over the place avoiding sacks if you can get to him you can generally get to him and that's where you can maybe bait him into a mistake he threw several interceptions this year as well threw an interception last week uh, against the titans so got to get pressure on him that's truly the key in this game cannot allow him to have a clean pocket no and i don't know if it was propaganda or not social media can be so deceptive uh and propaganda has been a part of humankind since the creation okay it just comes in different ways shapes and forms but with social media it's real easy to put propaganda out there and make it look like the truth but a theme of this show is arrowhead full-on geha field at arrowhead stadium full-on and then getting the another trophy in the trophy case did joe burrow really say there's no nfl stadium as loud as an sec stadium you know, uh, I've been trying to research that myself. I don't know when he said it, but the fact is it's out there. Uh, and he's in for an education, I guess, because, listen, I mean, players come in and out of Kansas City uh, over the decades, and they say there's no place that is quite like that place. And, I mean, I've been to a lot of SEC stadiums. I've been to stadiums all over the country. I've heard a lot of loud football in my life. I've been in domes. I've never heard a place as loud as GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium was against the Buffalo Bills. Being on the field and feeling the noise. Because in the press box, we have the big windows. You know, it's loud, but we can't quite fully hear it. Feeling the noise on the field throughout the last several minutes of that game was like an out-of-body experience. It was incredible. I don't know how the Bills were able to do anything honestly, but it's such an advantage. And I mean, the Bengals are going to feel it because as hungry as the Chiefs are to get back to the Super Bowl, these fans are just as hungry. And I mean, it's going to be crazy on Sunday afternoon. I have no doubt. Uh, and we'll need them because once again, the pass rush is what we need against Joe Burrow, right? That's how you shut him down. Well, what helps a pass rush more than anything? Noise. And we're going to the loudest stadium here in the NFL uh, on Sunday. Uh, it should be interesting. Yeah, every one of these Bengals offensive linemen have had a lot of sack in the playoffs in two games. And throughout the year, they've also had multiple false starts. So there's the exhortation to the crowd at GHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium, like your input. All right, as we close things out or get ready to uh, kind of wrap things up here on this episode, the Cincinnati defense, they have such offensive weapons. We didn't really talk. We'll talk about Jamar Chase here in a second, maybe give him credit. But... They are so good in the red zone. They're in this game, in my opinion, Matt, eight enemy possessions in the red zone in these first two playoff games, two touchdowns, and they force five turnovers and only given up one. That's plus four. To me, 
it seems simplistic, but as good as their offense has been, how did they win at Tennessee? Those two things. You're right. We talk about their offense. That's what, that's what gets all the headlines, but their defense has really stepped up uh, in the postseason. And for more on their defense, who better to check in with than the Spider-Man, Barber Shop himself. Uh, I caught up with Sean Barber uh, a few days ago and asked him about the Cincinnati defense. All right, we're joined now by our defensive guru. It's Barber Shop, Sean Barber. Sean, what's up, man? Hey, man, always glad to be here. Love defending the kingdom. Ready to talk some defense against these Bengals. Yeah, let's do it because we always talk about Joe Burrow, all his offensive weapons in the Cincinnati explosive offense, and for good reason. But their defense, in a lot of ways, is why they're in this moment. I mean, they held the Raiders and the Titans under 20 points each. They've been really good in the red zone, 2 of 8 in the red zone defensively uh, during the postseason so far. And they're taking the ball away, five takeaways uh, for the Cincinnati defense through this postseason. I want to ask you about each level of this defense, starting with their defensive line. They have a pretty solid defensive line here with guys like DJ Reader in the middle and two really good edge rushers and Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson. What do you make of these guys? Man, Hubbard and Hendrickson are kind of like fire and ice. One guy relies almost totally on the bull rush, um, high energy, tries to run right through you with Sam Hubbard. And then Hendrickson is more of an edge rusher, came from the Saints, one of the top um, all-time sack guys um, from the Saints organization, got to the Bengals and showed people what it meant to come off of a high edge. It's always an upfield high energy, tries to trail you down. Uh, Pat Mahomes got to be worried a little bit if he tries to not stay on schedule. Holding on to the ball against these two pass rushers could be detrimental to our offense and cause some big sacks, and they're always looking for turnovers. Yeah, Hendrickson had 14 sacks this year. He had at least a half sack in 11 straight games, but who'd that end against? It was the Chiefs back in Week 17, and that was with Joe Tooney starting at left tackle. Kind of impressive he was able to do that. Uh, But Trey Hendrickson is really good. Sam Hubbard is really good. Got to keep an eye on those guys. Now the next level, looking at the linebackers, this features a guy that I think could maybe be their best defensive player, even though he doesn't really get that credit. It's Logan Wilson at linebacker. He led this team with four interceptions this year. How can we uh, keep our eye on these linebackers here for the Bengals and not let them disrupt our game plan. Hey, definitely a young guy who's actually out there proving that he belongs to be on the field. Kind of reminds us of the guy we got in our uh, linebacker core uh, with Bolton, a solid run stopper, able to get out and do some underneath coverage, but his coverage ability against a guy, uh, a tight end, a top end tight end is going to probably be the Achilles heel for this defense. I see Travis Kelsey being able to really um, demand some extra eyes on him in the middle of the field because Logan Wilson cannot stay with Travis Kelsey. That's going to be a nightmare matchup in favor of our Chiefs. I like when teams keep putting linebackers on Travis Kelsey. They think that their guy can do it. Just just keep doing that and see what Travis Kelsey can do uh, against your defense, hoping for a big game from him. He had a touchdown last time we played the Bengals back in Week 17. Now, last part of this is their secondary, and their secondary has really performed well. This was an emphasis area for them this offseason because they brought in some veterans, guys like Awuzie, uh, Mike Hilton, um, some good players in the secondary for the Bengals, and they've made a lot of plays. Uh, we saw what Mike Hilton did, a great interception off Ryan Tannehill uh, just last week. Uh, your thoughts on the Cincy secondary? Man, what the Bengals did this offseason, like you said, the only place they really spent money was in that secondary. Von Bell, Eli Apple, uh, Jesse Bates, they, they did a complete overhaul on that defensive secondary to bring in some really high-end veterans. Guys that had experience on the back end of defense, you've seen all that there is to be seen. They, nothing's going to surprise this group of secondary guys 
And that's why they're in place to make plays on a lot of batted balls. So Pat has to do an amazing job of not only fitting the windows, they're going to be some tight windows, but make sure the ball does not travel high. You don't want balls getting tipped up in the air. So he should be aiming at our receiver's waistband, not trying to hit him in the chest. Aim at the waistband. And then if you miss by a foot or two, either way, it's still a completion. You saw it uh, um, late, late, late in the count. If the ball starts to rise, starts to elevate, that's when they get their hands on balls and they're always, always running to the ball with the ex anticipation, expectation of creating an interception or a turnover. So we got to be on all of our keys, quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, ball security is job security. And we got to eliminate the turnovers because this secondary has been feeding on over the turnovers all season long. Now, last part of this, Sean. Uh, sometimes the best defensive coordinators are the best offensive coordinators because you have such an understanding of what the defense wants to do. Uh, if you were Coach Reed, how would you best attack this uh, Cincy defense schematically on Sunday? Well, I think the weakness in this defense is the edge rushers because they are good at pass rush, but I think that their, their weakness is their run ability. So I would try to get um, CH, I would try to get our, our running backs out on the edge to slow down those pass rushers, run right at them, and then hit them with some play action. And when we're talking about play action, we're talking about, that's right, Cheetah. Letting Cheetah loose, getting Miko Hardman loose on some secondary, uh, letting one receiver clear out his own and the next guy coming across on the crosses. The same things we've been excelling at all season long. Um, um, we just need to continue to use the run to set up the pass or even use some of the short passing games. But always be aware, this defense is so opportunistic. They'll jump a route. Uh, they'll try to get their hands on balls when you're throwing quick screens. So Pat's got to be on his P's and Q's, use every arm angle uh, and arm side available to complete the pass and throw it on time. Don't hold on to the ball. Don't allow Henderson to run around the edge and get a, a strip, a sack strip fumble, anything like that. Just co continue to press the ball. First down, first down, then touchdown. Love the sound of that. Can't sleep on these guys. These guys have been playing great uh, football overall and specifically great defense during this playoff run. But the Chiefs right now, uh, nobody's playing offense like they are. Let's keep it going here against the Bengals and uh, secure a third consecutive Lamar Hunt trophy. Shop, awesome stuff, dude. See you later. All right, great stuff there from Shop. Always great getting Shop's perspective. The guy just, the guy's a genius. And you talk about a guy that's fired up. Now, you and I had the – we get these texts from shop, you know, Friday <laughs> afternoon, and it's just like my phone is like on fire. I can't even touch it because it's shop. And he's got such perspective. His depth in looking at these games, yeah, you know, players play, but not every player has the depth where he sees it, uh, like three to four to five dimensions. And I love that about shop. It's awesome. The texts are great. So Mitch and I on, what was it? It was like Thursday, you know, there was so much like anxiety and stress and just like, I don't know, anticipation going into the Bills game because I felt like these teams were so evenly matched in so many ways. And both teams wanted to beat each other so badly in advance to the AFC title game. There was a lot of tension in the week. Well, Shop just hits us with a text on like Thursday and he's like, guys, we're going to be just fine. Trust me. I looked at this, 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 and this. These are the reasons we're going to be fine. And I was like, we're going to be fine. I feel, I feel great. <laughs> 
you know, and and he was right. We won. So, you know, shop is it's therapy in a lot of ways. Uh, this guy knows what he's talking about. And uh, I appreciate his texts late in the week, every week. We'll close things up. Let's just mention a couple of these Bengals, though, that deserve mention. Logan Wilson coming back at linebacker. He had the pick that got things set up for their game winning field goal. Uh, he's kind of a he played at Wyoming, but he reminds me of a Josh Allen on defense, just his power and his ability. And then Evan McPherson, their kicker, is got a little confidence to him. Like he said, hey, we're I'm gonna kick us into the AFC championship game. It looks like so it looks like we're going to the AFC championship game. And he's made every field goal in the postseason. And then Jamar Chase. I mean, people get frustrated, I'm sure, when they play us when they see Tyree Kill. But Jamar Chase is doing more than just go routes. I mean, he had the 72-yarder and 69-yarder in that Week 17 game. But it's he's doing more than that. Uh, he's they're, they're throwing him bubbles. He's making people miss. And I talked earlier this week to Steve Spagnolo. He's Steve Spagnolo, and he was saying, we must tackle this guy. Remember, his 72-yarder was really a 12-yard reception. It was 60 yards a yak. So Jamar Chase is a special dude. Yeah, really all three of those guys can kind of fall under this umbrella of – they don't know what they don't know. It kind of reminds me of the 2014 Royals where they didn't have any experience in these moments, but they were just winning and having a lot of fun doing it. And they kept winning. Uh, the Bengals are kind of similar to that. This is a good Bengals squad with a lot of talent. That's probably going to be around for a long time. Look at all their skill guys. They're all really young. Then defensively, you mentioned Logan Wilson, a young player, Evan McPherson on special teams, a young player. So this is a group that's going to be around for a long time, probably battling the chiefs in the playoffs for a long time. Great opportunity here for the Chiefs to start that battle on the right foot. But with Jamar Chase, I mean, he's their guy. He is their guy. He's their Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey combined in a lot of ways. He got us back in Week 17. But similar to how I talked about how the Bills game earlier this season could have been seen as kind of a positive in a way, I think that performance by Chase is almost a positive looking back at it now for the Chiefs because we have what he did successfully against us on tape. We know what he did. We know how he did it. Now it's up to Spags and the defense to say, hey, this is what he did against us. How do we combat that? And all of a sudden, if he has to start making adjustments, he has to figure out new things on the fly uh, against our defense on Sunday, that's where you hope being a rookie, he gets frustrated, confused, doesn't know uh, what to do. For the Chiefs really in this game, it's imperative to jump out to hopefully a big lead and to hold on to it. And we saw them multiple times have a 14-point lead against Cincy back in Week 17, but Cincy kept fighting because this team has the firepower to get back into games. The Chiefs just need to put together a complete game here in this one, and I have no doubt they will because the killer instinct and the focus they're playing with against Buffalo, that's the mindset of a team that is hungry for a championship, and they're not satisfied winning a divisional round as amazing as a game as that was. Uh, they want to win this whole thing. And then the next step here is against Cincy, uh, and in order to do that, got to slow down Jamar Chase. Yeah, if the Bengals remind you of the 2014 Royals, the 2021 Kansas City Chiefs, now the 22 playoffs, remind me of the 2015 Royals. Because this group, to me, what I've sensed, is bringing Thor's hammer to this game. This Chiefs team is ready and, and fired up to get this done. And for you and me, hey, it just feels like we're in some kind of out-of-body football experience. Fourth straight AFC championship game to be hosted and a chance to win the Lamar Hunt trophy for a third consecutive year. Ten, five, touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins in Arrowhead. 